celebrating International Day of Women and Girls in Science 2023. In this episode, Dr. Maria Healy speaks to Dr. Lorena Hill in the second of two podcasts from the School of Nursing and Midwifery being released to mark International Women's Day. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this podcast. I am Dr. Maria Healy, Senior Lecturer in Midwifery at the School of Nursing and Midwifery, Queen's University, Belfast. And I'm also a SWAN champion within the school. SWAN stands for Scientific Women's Academic Network, and it recognizes and celebrates good practices in higher education and research institutions towards the advancement of gender equality, representation, progression, and success. This podcast has been created as part of the School of Nursing and Midwifery activities for the eighth International Day of Women and Girls in Science, which is celebrated on the 11th of February each year. The International Day of Women and Girls in Science was adopted by the United Nations General Assembly to promote the full and equal access and participation of females in science, technology, engineering and maths, the STEM fields. I'm joined here today by Dr. Arena Hill, Senior Lecturer in Nursing in the School of Nursing and Midwifery. Thank you, Lorena. First off, why don't you start by telling us a little bit about you and what you do? Some background would be great. So thank you, uh, Marie, and it's a great pleasure to be asked to undertake this podcast. So first of all, um, yes, as you say, I'm a current a senior lecturer with a focus on both teaching and research. And this certainly can make working life very busy, really successfully navigating and pro progressing both these roles. Saying that, I enjoy the diversity it entails. For example, I could be teaching on the postgrad heart failure module in the morning and then writing an ethical application or analysing data in the afternoon. Um, alongside uh, my teaching, I'm also PI of a European um, interreg funded uh, project called the Passion HF, um, which really aims to co-design and test an e-platform that uses artificial intelligence and a guideline based algorithm to empower patients who have heart failure to self-manage their condition, including their uh, medications. I also contributed to several, several other research initiatives and projects mostly focused on heart failure, palliative care and cardiac cachexia. And I have the privilege of supervising three doctoral students who are at different stages along their PhD journey. So that's my working life. My, my home life is that I'm a mother of two children. My daughter currently is undertaking the GEMS programme in Queen's and thoroughly enjoying it. And I'm engaged to my partner um, uh, who lives in Fermanagh. So that's me. Oh, thank you. Um, so Lorena, um, what has your career path uh, been like to date? Could you let us know? Yes, so my passion and interests have and continues to be in cardiovascular conditions. My dad had a heart attack and subsequently died from um, a stroke. So therefore that instilled from a very early age, my curiosity in this condition. 
I once I qualified, I became a staff nurse in acute coronary care in the Royal uh, Victoria Hospital. I enjoyed um, the cardiac ambulance and working with these very sick patients. And I progressed to a deputy sister level. And I was always fascinated how new treatments or interventions were developed and then how these became implemented into our daily clinical practice. Um, due to family commitments, my the, the birth of my children, I left clinical shift work and began a post as a cardiac research nurse. And this opened my eyes into the, the research pro process, including how ideas or concepts came about, how these were all tested, and the value of patient experience and feedback. In 2006, I moved into a new position, and that was a nurse specialising in patients with heart failure within the Royal Group of Hospitals. So what is heart failure? Essentially, it is a condition that patients can experience, and it's where the heart is not pumping effectively, and therefore the amount of blood pumped out by the heart that will circulate the body and into the lungs is reduced. So the patient may experience symptoms such as shortness of breath, may experience swelling on their legs and their ankles, um, and it's a, quite a debilitating condition. And I was very sceptical at the start about the position and taking this on because I realised it could be a very demanding position. However, this quickly dissolved with the amount of knowledge and expertise I, I grew and the ability to make clinical decisions with patients um, regarding their treatment and also providing them good education and support, not only them, but also their caregivers. I set up the first nurse said heart failure service in the Royal Victoria Hospital and stayed there for up to 10 years, uh, where I coordinated three clinics, three, three nurse led clinics per week. Um, as well as seeing patients with heart failure who were inpatients and providing telephone support. Uh, alongside this, I completed my nurse and midwifery prescribing course, um, followed by my master's, and over the next two or three years later, uh, embarked on my PhD in 2012. My goodness, uh, you've achieved so much in, in such a short time. Um, and could you go on to tell us then about your, your nurse um, nursing research interests, Lorena? Yes, so my research interests, again, very much cardiovascular related, but more focused in that from taking on the position of the nurse specialising in patients with heart failure, my drawing on that clinical experience, this has instilled a research interest into heart failure. I mentioned the Passion HF prog program or project, which is a really exciting European initiative, which could actually change the delivery of care for patients with heart failure. However, my personal research interest is not only all heart failure patients, but more specifically patients with advanced heart failure symptoms and those at the end of life. And even more specifically, those who have an implantable cardioverter defibrillator. What is this device, I hear you say? So it's a small matchbox size device 
which is implanted. It's got three key functions. It will pace the heart if the heart goes too slow. It will pace the heart if the heart goes too fast, but its key function is to shock uh, or, or deliver a shock if a life-threatening th um, rhythm is detected by the device. So while being a, a nurse managing patients with heart failure, I had the privilege of meeting a lady who stirred an interest and stirred this idea into my head of how we are looking after these patients, specifically in the palliative, palliative and end of life stages. And just reflecting, this was a lady who was very aware of her own poor prognosis and she um, no longer wanted her uh, ICD, as we call her implantable cardioverter defibrillator, kept active because she was very aware that this device could shock when she was at end of life. And these shocks can be very painful. They have been um, equated to being kicked by a horse. So they're very painful. And bear in mind that a shock from an ICD will only correct a life-threatening arrhythmia and does not necessarily start or restart a heart which is generally damaged or, or failing. So her curiosity stirred my curiosity and that led to me undertaking basically my PhD project, which looked at the management of patients with this ICD, specifically regarding um, the de deactivation or turning off the device when the patient has reached the end of life. My study involved looking at the published literature on what patients understood about ICD deactivation, looking at what was currently happening in clinical practice by undertaking um, a, a retrospective case note review, interviewing patients as well as their caregivers about their understanding, and then looking at the attitudes of healthcare professionals, not just in Northern Ireland, but um, internationally as well. And looking at all this data, um, I seemed to um, find a, a problem and the problem was the information in terms of when it was delivered. So when do we or when should we as a healthcare professional or nurse discuss ICD deactivation? Should we discuss ICD deactivation or should we, we leave it to our clinicians or our, our medical staff? And how should we do it? Should we only do it at one time point? Should we do it via a booklet? Should we do it just verbally? And furthermore, should family members be present? Um, and what would their contribution be like? So my PhD led on to uh, funded postdoctoral work, which I had the privilege of being funded by the European Society of Cardiology. And this was carried out looking more so at professionals um, understanding of when this information should be relayed and how it should be relayed. Um, and in 2019, I applied to the British Heart Foundation for one of their nurse fellowship grants. Um, initially, I was, um, I was given a, a decision of a revision and then COVID happened. So I put everything on hold as I um, 
moved into a lot more teaching and clinical work. And then back in 2022, at the start of 2022, I uh, revitalised the project and applied again to the British Heart Foundation. And this time I was successful, which I'm really absolutely delighted about. So I will look at now the and develop uh, uh, an e-health intervention that will provide information to reduce a lot of patient concerns. And these patient concerns are those who are living daily with an implantable cardioverter defibrillator. It's great. I have a PhD student working alongside me at the minute who is looking at and exploring in more detail that family members aspect and I'd be excited to see what she uh, finds in the next few years. That's, that's amazing work, really impactful, Arena. It's not just for the individual patient, but also their family. As you've mentioned, you've had amazing clinical and academic achievements, including receiving large amounts of research funding. And many congratulations to you. Research awards to date total over one million pounds. Your most recent research award was from the British Heart Foundation. The United Nations have noted that unfortunately, women academics are typically given smaller research grants than male colleagues. And while they represent 33.3% of all researchers, only 12% of members of the national science academics are women. What are your thoughts on that fact? And how can we bring more women into the field of academia and research in nursing and midwifery. So thank you, Maria, for those kind words. And that's a really good question. I do uh, think specifically in the area that I work, which is cardiology and heart failure, it's a, quite a male dominated area already. But I have seen a move with really exciting initiatives to increase the number of women undertaking research within this field. In terms of research and the undertaking of research, it's certainly there's an element of flexibility. And also there's a lot of satisfaction in that you feel as if you're making a real impact on future patient care. In terms of the teams that I currently work in and in the teams that I have worked in in the past, I have been lucky, for example, a Passion HF team to work in a very balanced, gender balanced team. And I do think with that brings a great insight and greater enrich enrichment in terms of individuals bringing different perspectives and different lived experience. And I think that makes a real difference to the projects that we undertake. And when I think about the current project that I'm about to undertake, which is the Choice HF project, which you have alluded to is the British Heart Foundation project. This team is literally male, female balanced, which is great. There's also a high proportion of female nurses caring for patients with cardiovascular conditions. So we really need to certainly encourage a lot more females into research, both into the research of nursing and into the research within midwifery. Well, thanks so much, Lorena, for sharing your information about your career to date. It's a great credit to you. In terms of celebrating the International Day of the Woman, and girls in science and addressing their theme of bringing everyone forward for sustainable and equitable development. It is essential that we continue to mentor and encourage more nurses and midwives into science and research careers. This will only enable um, continued evidence based clinical nursing and midwifery practice decisions 
inform future education, policy and research. So thank you so much for your time, Lorena. It is much appreciated. So thank you, Maria, for that. It's been lovely to be able to share my experience. But as you say, it's also been lovely to encourage and see nurses and midwives across the school considering a career in research. SWAN within the School of Nursing and Midwifery is really leading on encouraging female colleagues into research and has a number of excellent and exciting initiatives to promote nurses and midwives into such. I have seen nurses and midwives from both undergraduate and postgraduate levels, like myself, getting a keen interest and then developing that into a true passion for research. This then has progressed into a PhD career, which has the potential to impact the patient and care um, that we, the patient care that we give, both uh, women, females, and infants clinically. It is possible to have that balance between research, teaching and clinical practice, which is what I really enjoy. It's great to see the clinical and academic skills of nursing and midwives develop in Queen's University and that university encouraging and instilling women onto a scientific pathway. Well, thanks again, Lorena. I really, really have enjoyed um, hearing about your career history to date and your amazing achievements. I wish you all the best in, um, in your future career. I want to bring this podcast now to a close by thanking you again for your time. I also want to thank the Senior Management Board from the School of Nursing and Midwifery at Queen's for their continued support for the SWAN initiatives um, and activities within the school. These all make a, a really big difference to those who work there and it's important to continue to strive for more women in science and gender equality. For more in this series, visit our website go.qub.ac.uk slash shaping hyphen pod and follow us on social media at QUB Engagement. <laughs>